Hi Chris, how are you? Good evening Rod, yeah I am well on what is quite possibly the coldest day in the world. Well, I think that might be a slight exaggeration, the coldest day in the world, it's definitely chillier. You could have come back from Milan between 25 to 30 degrees and then landed in Cardiff and thought, oh my gosh, it's cold. Yeah, that must have been a rude awakening for you because it was a rude awakening this morning. Yeah, definitely. The heating popped on and worryingly for me, it's not popping back off actually. So I'm a bit worried about my gas bill at the moment, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, I think everybody's about, I was on a few calls to work and there are more people with big coats on than there has been for a wee while so it is episode 90 though and it's the 16th of october it is and we should say right off the bat that we've got a uncertain couple of weeks coming up with holidays and coming and going and conferences and all sorts of things at the moment so our release schedule may look a little bit odd if you're looking at the feed and maybe shows might take a slightly odd format for a while so don't be too upset uh, if if it's a bit slightly out of schedule but at least you'll have something to listen to yeah, I think that's kind of our idea, isn't it? Can we keep some consistency up whilst we have life in and around the show? And we tried it over the summer and it worked quite well, I thought. You you scheduled them to release while you were on holiday and now it's my turn to go on holiday. We'll figure something out. And if there's an odd weird show with me talking to myself for 20 minutes at some point, maybe that will have to be as well. But we'll get something out there. I think it's a good idea. I think you should do one and try it. Yeah, but what if you decide you like the sound of that better and just leave it to me from now on? And just, you, you could be another listener. <laughs> I would take that too. So I'd, I'd be happy either way. I get a good podcast to listen to. Well, thank you for your vote support. I don't think it'd be the same without you, Chris. <laughs> That's very kind of you. Very kind. Should we get into follow-up then? Let's do some follow-up. Our standard item, has Chris tried Call of Duty Mobile? I have tried Call of Duty Mobile. How is that? I've tried I'm it on, so my, surprised. on my iPhone 15 Pro with the A17 Pro. So I've got all the Pro-ness, which is going to deliver amazing graphics. So I fired it up. I don't like I've got accept terms and conditions. It wants me to create an account, but I continued as guest. It downloaded lots of stuff. I don't even know how big it is. I should probably go back and check. But once you get beyond all that, you get in the game. And I did the little tutorial. I actually thought they did quite a good job of the tutorial. And you could practice walking and shooting. And they, they had two modes. And they made you try both modes in the tutorial, the, the simple and the advanced. I thought it was quite good. I thought it looked stunning. But... I'd love to know how many people are actually playing COD Mobile on a daily basis because most people have got a big old computer, PlayStation, insert other device here. So I liked it, I thought it looked good, but it's not the kind of game I want where I've got my big fingers covering up the screen and the play area. That is the problem with mobile gaming. The Switch obviously has it right because very few people actually use touch controls on their Switch. And I think most people forget it does touch and actually the the way the Joy-Cons just clamp on the side is a fantastic design. So that was my my view of the world. You didn't try and pair it with an Xbox or PlayStation controller then? I probably should have done. I've got one sat just behind me, but probably needs charging. So there's a little bit of friction there. Yeah, this was my point of learning actually is you will feel like a god playing Call of Duty Mobile with a controller because you'll absolutely annihilate almost everybody except those other people that aren't playing with controllers. But I kind of think, though, if I'm going to put a controller on it, I must just go and sit on my PlayStation. But, you know, as you were saying the other day, you can plug your iPhone into your super big telly. And if you haven't got a PlayStation or you're just out in the world and you fancy 20 minutes of gaming, you happen to have your gamepad with you, I think there's something in that. Yeah, I guess so. But then I've got... I'd, I could probably do this but with my iPad, I guess that would be the, the better thing. I was just looking at how much it took up on my mobile and it takes up 4.8 gig. So not... Uh, sorry, 4.08 gig. So not ridiculous. 
but reasonable. But I guess most fans, though, are 64 or more now, aren't they? So it's not that bad. I don't think it's that bad, considering the PlayStation or PC ones are in the 90 gig mark. Wow, then they've done a good job. With all the maps in there as well, it's, it's not bad. Yeah, agreed, agreed. It, it was good, I'm glad I tried it, and I could see probably younger people playing it more than I would. But um, it did look great, and I think they've done a good job of adapting it. That, that's probably the highlight. It's probably not for me, but I think you can see what they've done, and it is a good job. Well done for trying it. More Call of Duty news later on. Cypher 007, did you get a chance to have a look at that? So I did half my homework, so I haven't done that. I have downloaded it, but I didn't quite get a chance to play it. So that, that's next up on the list. That's fine. That gives me something to stick up and follow up uh, at some point when we can get around to that again. So I'm okay with that. So I already said I went to Milan. I thought I'd give a little bit of, considering I haven't had my iPhone 15 Pro Max for very long, I thought I'd give the iPhone 15 a bit of a review being out and about and away from power sockets and with different plugs and all that kind of stuff and on another network. None of this will be very surprising, but my experience of using um, an iPhone in Milan is overwhelmingly positive, actually. The Italians are very, very good at contactless. Everything pretty much was contactless. If you're going to buy yourself a Negroni in a, in a nice cocktail bar right through to paying for your meals or whatever, the first thing they do is pick up the contactless terminal and stick it in front of you. Uh, I would also, which is great, I'd also say, compared to some other places in Europe I've been, iPhone overwhelmingly dominant. Milan is the second biggest city in Italy. It's 1.7 million people. There's obviously a bit of money there. My sort of presupposition before I got there was it would be full of very rich, very cool people in far better clothes than I'd ever by going chow a lot and drinking drinking nice cocktails. Not entirely true. There were definitely some well-dressed people. Overwhelmingly really nice bunch, I got to say, but I thought it was just really stark the iphone predominance amongst almost everybody i saw yeah that is interesting isn't it and i do find when i've been abroad and i'm I'm going away to cyprus next week contactless is just so prevalent it's fantastic i still get asked here every time i go in my local shop are you paying with cash or card And it's like does anybody pay with cash anymore i mean i, I always just use my card even if it's two pounds or, or whatever it may be so i do think a lot of the european countries have really got the infrastructure nailed and the banks and what have you is fantastic just as an aside germany not so much uh, i was in hanover a little while back and they're still not into this as much as certainly the spain has been certainly certainly as much as italy was that surprised me because you always think of the German culture has been really efficient and on it. I've not been to Germany and I really do want to go. So maybe that's, that's some homework I need to do, but not quite this year. Yeah, my other observation would be when you go and use other people's transit networks that most play, well, you, what you want is the London Underground where you just bring up your contactless card, you tap into styles of the bus or whatever, and you tap out again. And lots of countries aren't like that. But again, Milan was there in the process of converting their underground buses. Trams, you know, quite an old transit network. It's quite weird. You get on these old classic trams from what must be, I don't know, the 50s, and they've had contactless terminals installed on them. So that's really good. And I think, again, shows a certain amount of progressiveness. Even San Francisco, you know, which isn't a European city, obviously, but you had to install their clipper card thing in your iPhone wallet in order to do it. And you have to charge that. So you need like £10 on your... Or $10 in your clipper car. Whereas Milan, nope, bring up a contactless card, boop, through you go, done. Yeah, that is really good. I'm off to London on Wednesday and I do love the express travel. So you, you just wave your your phone or your watch, or you could obviously do it with your regular card at the at the contact, 
contactless turnstile it lets you through and then you do the same when you come back out and then it, you can go on as many train trips as you want and it works out the cheapest price for you it's made it so much easier especially when you go in with children you haven't got to worry about faffing to buy the right tickets and that it just sorts it all out for you i think it's fantastic and for me that's really where the mobiles have excelled they've actually made life a lot easier for that kind of travel it's fantastic yep fair point i had one issue and this is after the 17.0.3 update where it was the phone was away from cellular it was away from wi-fi i hadn't turned it off it was before i flipped it well before i flipped it into airplane mode but there was obviously nothing around it it got super hot i wasn't charging it i wasn't doing anything but it got noticeably warm in my hand yeah like i said i had something similar to that when i was watching my son's football match i talked about it the other week and it was just getting really hot in my pocket and so warm that I, I was getting a little uncomfortable with it, um, which I've not had before because you can sometimes expect when you're doing something, but it's when you're not doing something and it gets warm that it's most disconcerting. Yeah, a bit odd. So I'm going to keep an eye on that. Uh, but overall, generally, the battery was pretty good. I charged it. Well, I try not to leave it on 100% overnight, despite how good the batteries are these days. So I'd wake up, hotel beds, two in the morning, three in the morning, unplug it, be on about 96% by the time I got up in the morning, use it all day, and they were still putting it, plugging it in again at night then with sort of 10, 15% in it. That's heavily use of maps, texting people, calling people, using group messenger, finding out where things are all, and all the rest of it in a foreign city. So I'm really impressed with the battery life. That is good. And you do have the Pro Max, which generally gets amazing battery life. So that is good news. Yep. So that was all good. Uh, anything else? Have you got any follow-up on the iPhone 15? Um, no, not overly. I'm enjoying the cameras, even though they're not a marked improvement upon the 14 that I had before. Uh, the one question I was going to ask you, though, was how are you getting on with the always-on screen? Because this is, this is your first phone with, with that functionality. Yeah, I've kind of got used to it. I still find it a bit odd when it decides it's going to turn it off for whatever reason. So sometimes at night when it's just sitting by the side of the bed, the screen's on, and then you'll look over about three in the morning and it's decided to turn itself off for some reason, which I find quite puzzling. It's either on or it's not, surely. I th well, it depends if you're using standby mode, but uh, I, I think it's got some rules, I guess, around it for conserving battery energy. In standby mode, there's a setting which actually has come out in 17.1 where you can set it to auto or always turn off after 20 seconds. And then I think if you're not using standby mode, I can't remember what the logic is, but I think it does turn it off if it's a dark room and there's no movement because why why burn the, through the battery or, or slow it down charging i guess yeah and i guess i don't mind it it should have a bit of awareness for example and maybe it does for all i know if you turn it upside down on a table it may as well shut the screen off it should know whether it's right way up or upside down i think it does do that yeah fair enough so yeah always on screen fine i'm i'm kind of used to it now just keep my eye on it really Fair enough. I, I just wondered how you get on with it because I know when I first had it, I kept thinking it was on. And I thought, oh, why, yeah. why is my phone on? It shouldn't be on. Yeah. And it, I think there's, what, 15 years of iPhone in there that means we're not quite used to that yet. So, I think Yeah, it is interesting. Good. I think it upsets other people more than me at this stage because I'm kind of used to it. But I'd be with two of my colleagues have Android phones and I could see them looking uncomfortable that the phone screen was on all the time. So, Yeah, okay. It's a culture thing, isn't it? Very much. Moving on, just a little another recommendation for a Rolo. So this is the app that gives you eSIMs in your phone. Uh, a colleague of mine has an iPhone XR, 10R XR. Her UK cell service stopped working, or there was something wrong with it while while roaming in, in Italy. I said, "I'll oh, just stick this a Rolo app on, and you can use it and get an eSIM card." 
Uh, and off it went, worked perfectly. She had messaging, she was able to stay in touch with us. So even as far back as the 10 hour, we had eSIMs and it's, it's still doing the business. So I think that's great. No, it is good. I love eSIMs. I just don't think we've quite seen the benefit of eSIMs yet because we're still in this half and half world and we need to fully get to eSIMs. They've been in phones now for what three or four years, if not longer, maybe five years at this point. Um, and I think the phone is called the 10R, even though I often call it the XR because it's an X. It is an X. It was the iPhone 10. Yep, good. So that was that. And you have a story for us in follow-up. Uh, well, this was more for you because I know you love this deal. So Microsoft has finally completed the deal to buy Call of Duty maker Activision Blizzard for $69 billion, which is a lot of money, but it's finally gone through after what feels like a year of wrangling and it's all said and done. So it's good news, I think. It must be good for the employees that are based there as well because at least they know it's happening rather than being sat in the, in the limbo. I guess now they've got the joy of the two companies coming together, but interesting that it's finally done and it feels like the UK had the final say in it in the end. So I've seen an immediate impact of this uh, on one of the uh, YouTubers that I watch. Uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, the current version of it, has implemented a Doom skin for a super shotgun and chainsaw in modern Call of Duty. That's quite cool. I like that. So now they've got Blizzard Activision. They obviously have the rights to Bethesda and all the and Ed and all that previous IP. Had this stuff sitting there ready to go. I thought... Be- oh, so Bethesda's a different house that Microsoft already owned. And now they own Activision. They can combine the two studios in essence. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, what are the chances of that? I never thought about it. Yeah, it's, it is interesting, isn't it? So apparently Master Chief is going to come to Modern Warfare 2 as well any minute now. Oh, it makes sense, wouldn't it? Everybody loves a bit of uh, cross-universe you know, population like this of guns or skins and things. So it's quite cool. It is quite cool. But I wonder how much of this stuff is sort of like, has been lined up ready to go for possible years by this point. True. And I wonder how far they will go with it. Yeah. And the chief executive of uh, Activision Blizzard, uh, Bobby Kotick, resigned almost immediately. And they just went, and it's more of a formality at this point. He's probably just been a caretaker until it's said and done. And they had an agreement in place, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. He also had some fairly unfortunate reputational things floating around after him as well. So I think it's probably part of that as he had to go as soon as the deal was done. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, that's good. I'm glad it's done and we can maybe report about hopefully the benefits of this deal rather than, than it dragging on. Uh, as I've just reported on with my, well, not that I've got it, but there is that shotgun in uh, Call of Duty 2. Should we move on and do some news? Yeah, news it is then. So we're going to talk about the iPhone SE 4, I see. Apparently so. So there is a nice phone SE 4 due. This isn't a surprise. The current iPhone, I think, SE is based on the 6 chassis. Am I correct in saying that? You are correct in saying that. So that was the chassis that went from the 6 through to the 6S, 7, 8, and their S variants. Was there an S variant of the 8? I don't think there was. I think it finished on the 8. came out at the same time as the iPhone XR. So we've had that for quite a long time at this point. I want to say from about 2011. Sounds sounds roughly about right. I just wanted to get rid of the home button. I think we should be in a world now where they are not selling phones with home buttons. Totally, because that silhouette, we've talked about that this on this this on this on podcast before now, of without having the button at the bottom and be it with a dynamic island or be it with a notch, that's what you'd expect to see when you look at an iPhone. Anyway, this rumour is that the iPhone SE 4 will have the same base chassis as the iPhone 14, so bringing it right up to date, basically. Fantastic, and hopefully USB-C port. I think we need to get everything over to USB-C now, come on. 
Yes, I agree. Hopefully they should be on that now. Do you think we'll get Dynamic Island? Mixed on that one. I think they should because this phone will hang around for years and it'd be nice for everything to work one way. So no home button, everything on USB-C. And if they are going to keep this in the lineup for five years, say, then it would be great if it adopted Dynamic Island. And, you know, is is a, it would look a bit out of place, I guess, because it's quite early for it to happen, but it would make sense three years from now when they're still selling it. Yeah, I agree. It is interesting as I scroll through the comments on this article, which is uh, Michael Cypost. If it has no touch ID, no interest. Are we really not past that? I'd assume we're past that. I remember setting up my my parents with Face ID phones and they took to it immediately. You know, I thought they might be like, oh, how do I do my thumb? And they, they weren't at all. They just got on board with the face immediately. It is so much better. So I don't think they should be doing touch ID. The only way they should do it is if they can do Face ID and Touch ID. Yeah, I'm okay with that. And I think the Android phones, although the Face ID isn't very good, I think the Touch ID built into the screen is really cool. Yeah, that is quite cool. And there's a cool screen effect when you do it. They've really integrated it very well. Yeah, so I think we can sum this up by saying iPhone SE 4, yes, please, it's about time. Yeah, I've got my eye on this because I think it'd be good for our organization to buy buy these phones because they seem to be supported for a long time. They're cost-effective. But people want the bigger screen and the historical SE just hasn't got that screen that people are after. Yeah, i go with that. This isn't a major news story, but just worth mentioning that Microsoft are failing to sort of patch the patches as much as anything else. So there's a long-standing flaw in Exchange where uh, the security can be brute forced to do with tokens within the Exchange Server 2019 and 2016. And they've pushed out another update to this following a previous update from August. And again, I think this is just one of these things we need to keep an eye on is Microsoft failing to patch their services. Yeah, in Exchange, I always find interesting organization where I work with, we're all on Microsoft 0365, but we still have to have Exchange on-premise for a couple of very, what feel like legacy reasons. And it's like, have we not reached a point now where we don't need to have that? Because it just feels odd that we still need a server on-premise after 0365 has been around for at least 10 years, if not way longer than that. And it makes sense at the start, but surely you're this far in, you don't want to be having on-premise infrastructure to back it up. So there's probably still quite a lot of organizations that have got these servers out in the wild. It's not good, is it? Because that could be no. a way into your, your cloud infrastructure. No, I agree. But that sort of devil in the deep blue sea stuff, or better the devil you know thing, we keep seeing that there's vulnerabilities with 0365 as well, you know, that needs patching and all the rest of it. So if you're a prudent server admin, you're presumably installing these patches as soon as they come out and having to deal with all the nonsense that Exchange brings you. So I kind of get the, the sort of schism in people trying to deal with the on-prem versus the the Office 365. And then there are features still to this day that are only just appearing in Office 365. We talked about distribution lists last week. One went live yesterday for me, as far as I could see. Whereas if you set your out of office, people outside of your organization will be warned that your, 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 your status is out of office, something like that. In-prem, that's worked for a long time for me, but that was the first time I'd seen it today. Yeah, that is quite good. I didn't realize it was working externally. That is quite cool. It's cool, but it's just a feature that, you know, it feels like something they could have added 10 years ago, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess so. Maybe it's just taken them a while to get around to it. Yeah. Anyway, I, I like a bit of a Microsoft security update story, so it's worth mentioning. This next story surprises me slightly. So a long time ago, maybe at the start of the podcast, we reported on Google and Sonos suing, suing each other over wireless speakers and syncing wireless speakers around the house. And Sonos had won all the cases up to this point. It looked very much like it was going in their direction. But as of uh, the 10th, the 11th of October, 
Google has been awarded uh, the patent for this, or at least awarded the, the, the ruling in this. So they are able to do wireless speaker syncing now as well. So I got to feel Sonos is hurting about this. Yeah, they can't be happy about it. I mean, Sonos has got the better brand reputation and certainly is a lot more prevalent, but it can't be good for them this if, you know, because Google could soon catch up. Yeah, and I remember them doing this and falling out about it because up to that point, you could put Google Voice on your Sonos devices and use it to control them in the same way that you did do uh, Alexa. I hope I haven't set off anybody's Alexa by doing that. And then they ripped it out. And the second this ruling happened, much like our Microsoft Activision story from earlier, Google released a patch that would let you sync all your speakers at the same time. Yeah, they obviously had it ready to go. It was in the canon. It's great they get it out immediately. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I'm kind of... This feels like a thing that you shouldn't really be able to patent. If Sonos are confident enough in their technology that it is better and it does sync well, they should just let the market do it. Yeah, patents are so controversial, I think. it's, And I get why people do it. There needs to be a better balance, I think, because you can patent a lot of things and some things, like you say, just shouldn't be patented because it's too, they can be too generic enough. While I sync in the speakers, surely both teams can work that out independently, but the patent shouldn't stop another company from doing it. Yeah, I'd agree. Anyway, moving on and back from to Microsoft from Google, and I just think this is the most incredible story. The IRS woke up last week and declared that Microsoft owes them $29 billion in back taxes. So that's the Internal Revenue Service in the States. Companies are meant to file their taxes. George, George Trump. Donald Trump is in a lot of trouble at the moment for not paying his taxes, or certainly there was a lot of hoo-ha about it while he was president. And as part of his ruling in, or his investigation in New York is inflating the, the market value of his company. But I think this is incredible. That is a large amount of money, even for a company as rich as Microsoft. And you would have thought somebody would have paid taxes somewhere. But it's... it's- Sorry, agreed, it's a lot of money, but it's for the years 2004 to 2013. So it's not even that recent. I mean, this this is even the more recent year is te- over 10 years old now. So how have it, A, how have they accrued so much? And B, how has it taken 10 years for it to come to light like this? It just, just seems unbelievable to me. Yeah, the IRS proposed adjustments don't reflect the amounts the company paid under Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, according to a Microsoft representative, who claims this could decrease the final tax owed by up to $10 billion. Well, that's still $16 billion you owe then, isn't it? That's a lot of money. I mean, I can understand some accountants. It's not going to be one somewhere in Microsoft doing everything they can not to pay taxes. Because why would you if you can possibly get away with it? Big companies are good at avoiding taxes. See Amazon, see Vodafone, see Apple in, 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 in Ireland and things like that. That's what you do. It's how you keep your market value. Well, but I would say it's deeply unfair. If you're making that much money within a country, relying on their infrastructure and doing all the things, you pay your taxes for the, the benefits for all, for the healthcare systems, for you know just the, the environment in which you exist. You expect your employees to pay their taxes. So why should you get away with it just because you're rich? So I, I, I mean, it's important to highlight this kind of stuff, but big companies got to be a big company, haven't they? Yeah, I, I mean, all, all companies like this, they have obviously a tax team and they're trying to be efficient with, with how they pay their taxes and making sure they do everything within the realm of the law. But this just seems a ridiculous amount of money over a ridiculous period. It feels like it's got a little bit out of hand here. Yeah, I'd agree. Anyway, let's. it's another little story for us to keep an eye on. We have a lot larger amount of money for a little story, but uh, we'll see what happens with the appeals process. 
Yeah, and leading into our next story, maybe this is why Microsoft isn't the default search engine on the Apple platform because they need all those billions to pay their tax bill. Whereas you've got an article here that says Google pays Apple 18 to 20 billion a year to keep it as the primary search, which is just insane. Surely though, I was thinking about this, if Google stopped paying them, your default search engine's already set. So wouldn't it just stay as Google? Like, are they getting that many new users and new phone setups that aren't just phone migrations? So are they actually getting good value for money now? Well, it's still eyeballs on your website and your advertising, isn't it? And it doesn't take much for Apple to default it to DuckDuckGo or Bing or one of the other ones that are beginning to appear. So I can understand why Google wants to make sure that the default engine is that. But 20 billion pounds. It's a lot of cash. You've got to generate a lot of ad revenue to cover that one. So it must be worth it, though, otherwise we wouldn't keep doing it. But wow, that's a lot of money. It's a lot more than I'd anticipated. Well, it's 14 to 16% of Apple's annual operating profits. That's quite a chunk of a company the size of Apple. Just just for one drop-down box that, that puts them at the top. It's insane, isn't it? I mean, it's it's got to be their, their best earner for effort every year because they did the effort 15, 16 years ago and then they just keep milking it every year since and I'm guessing as the iPhone user base has swelled so is the cost to Google so it's it's a lot more money like I say than I'd anticipate if you'd have asked me I'd have said oh I don't know about 100 million pounds and even that seemed a lot to me but here we are at up to 20 billion wow I mean if you read further down in the article that they reckon the eyeballs on Apple platforms are probably worth 60 billion dollars a year in Apple uh, to potentially advertise what's going on. So if they did a very minimal effort search engine of their own and surfaced a bit of advertising within that, the you know, I don't think they're going to feel the hurt of Google pulling away from this for very long. So it's probably in Google's interest to try and maintain this. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm surprised Apple do it, but you can understand why they do it for that amount of money. But I've always wondered why Apple haven't done their own search engine at this point. Yeah, when you're trying to grow your uh, services, as, as Apple have been doing, and it's been one of the fastest growing elements of the company as we report on in the quarterly stock uh, and earnings reports, I kind of get it. It's easy money. It, it doesn't inflate, but it's just part of what's going on as part of your services revenue. If that dropped away, the market wouldn't like it. The, the fastest growing thing went, but they could recover pretty quickly. I mean, we're pretty much over the Google Map, the Apple Maps implementation and the disaster that was. I, and let's face it, iCloud services, as we were talking about last week, aren't as solid as other people's cloud-based services, and you think they can benefit a lot from that. But they could spin up something fairly minimal. Go and talk to DuckDuckGo, go and talk to Microsoft, go and talk to one of the others. Buy the Kagi platform we were talking about last week. They could do something relatively quickly. I'm amazed they never bought DuckDuckGo. I just thought it'd fit with Apple's whole MO. You could just see it a mile off, like privacy-focused search engine. Have they not bought it, just rebranded it, done. Yeah, they do miss, I feel like they miss things occasionally, like all the machine learning stuff we've talked about repeatedly before, and a lot more could be done with that. They're in a great place to do so, and I feel like they're very lagging and behind on on machine learning, even if it is on on device. They could do so much more with photography and things like that than creating stickers and taking out the odd background. Uh, Yeah, I'd concur with that. I think on some things they're ahead of the the game, like when they bought um, the semiconductor company that then became Apple Silicon. They were miles ahead of the game because everybody was like, why are they buying a chip-making company You know, with some designs? But obviously, 100% was the right thing to do. Set them up for over 10 years' worth of amazing chips that blow away the uh, competition. But it feels like on the software side, 
they're just not that good at software acquisitions. There's been a few over the years, like the Shortcuts one that was originally Workflow. But some companies like this, it's just like, how have have Apple not just snapped them up? Because some of these things are very minor to them. But maybe it's a space they don't want to get into. But you would have said, I don't know, 10 years ago, it's more likely for Apple to have done a search engine than it is to have set up a whole, you know, movie studio and production network and all the cost involved in all of that. But yet they didn't do that. They did the, the TV piece. So it's very interesting, I think, how it all plays out. But I guess it depends on who's leading it and have they got got a good enough business case to do it. And I wonder how many things they've looked at doing but walked away from. Have they actually looked at buying Disney? Have they looked at buying DuckDuckGo? You know, do you know what I mean? I wonder how many of these pdfs powerpoints whatever have they got on their servers that may come out in a court case in 10 years time where they've considered loads of acquisitions but maybe it's all the no's that they do because they did say that a long time ago it's all the no's they make and we only see obviously the few yeses if that makes sense so it'd be interesting to know how many decisions they make a week a month that uh drive this yeah i agree uh interesting times moving on and this is just a very another very quick one because uh, it bit me actually there's a story in 9to5Mac uh, on the 10th about your iPhone 15 uh, switching off overnight. Uh, mine certainly appeared to, before I went to Milan, the day I went to Milan, actually. It completely locked up. It was on because there was a bunch of missed notifications. So I managed to get it come back, but it hard locked. I had to do the volume up, volume down, hold down the power button to get it to hard reset because the screen would just not turn on. So this is yet another potential thing. We're seeing quite a lot of little gatey type things from Apple, and this is a quite a worrying one. Yeah, I haven't seen this, um, but I'm running the 17.1 beta, which probably comes out quite soon. But you're right, there's been a lot of just little little things. And we do often get it, and we've probably forgotten some from last year because they do get over them quite quickly. But it's not good, is it? The reliability this year hasn't been fantastic. No, and just while we've been talking, actually, another story has come out in 9to5Mac about a CarPlay GPS bug and it giving an incorrect location while you're driving. And that's an even more worrying thing. Yeah, that is not good because that could end end very badly. Yeah, people do blindly follow their sat-navs and people trust Apple Maps. So yeah, they need to sort of sort this out. Agreed, agreed. So next story about foldable phones. I do quite like a foldable phone story. While I was away, I got to have a chance to play with some of the Samsung foldables, both the, the big fold and the flippy fold. I think I forget what the generate. I think one's a Z flip and one's a fold. Very nice. Well-engineered. Hinges are good. When you're looking straight at them, you can't see the crease at all. Have you had a chance to have a look at them? Yeah, actually, a couple of my team at work have got the fold. So the fold is the one that you hold in front of you and open it like a book. And then the flip is the little clamshell, is what we used to call them back in the day. I haven't seen the clamshell in person, but I'm quite interested in that, actually, I must say. But I think the fold looks very good. If Apple did one, I would buy one, but they don't seem to be doing one they don't seem to make any noises about doing one do you think we're going to be on for one next year i don't know if it'll be next year it might be the year after but the the reason this has come up is because oneplus which is another android brand brand chinese android android brand i can't get my words out tonight also they have a they're a sub brand of a bigger bigger company called oppo but oneplus has been very well regarded in the tech space because they do good features at reasonable prices and for fairly premium hardware they've got that reputation and they're about to release their foldable called the oneplus open it looks very you know the the this the, the fold phone as you were talking about from samsung there so i think if this is similar to what samsung have managed to do this just adds pressure uh, to apple because obviously 
the sales of these devices. People want them. As we've said a few times on this show, you'd buy one if it came along in, in the folding form factor. I am quite interested in the old Motorola Razor form factor, I've got to say. If they're nice and thin with good cameras and can fold them away that sort of size, I don't mind that it's a little bit thicker in my pocket. It's taking up less space as long as it's robust. But my evidence of the Samsung phones is the screens are pretty damn good now. Yeah, they've come a long way. I've certainly tried the Fold 5. So we've had five iterations of it. That's why I'm surprised Apple's not there and why I think next year could be a possible because we've had, like I say, five years of it. It's a good way of them growing the revenue. I think the hardware is quite compelling and it's clearly getting better and better year on year. So I definitely want to see what they do with it. And it's a £1,700 phone. That's a lot of money. It is. But if you spec up your iPhone 15 Pro Max to not the highest spec you're within touching distance of that apple likes money apple likes selling you things so if you make that a two and a half thousand pounds phone and you're almost into vision pro territories by then i could see them doing that that is true maybe we were, we were just gonna have vision pros instead of phones yeah i'm not walking around with that one the vision pro bit since the initial announcement wwdc has been quite quiet i thought Apple might have done a bit more just to keep the pot simmering and keep it in people's sort of subconsciousness, but it's it's kind of gone very quiet. A little bit. Steve Trouton-Smith on Mastodon has done some really sterling work in posting builds that he's been using in the simulator, and we didn't talk about this last week actually, but I know uh, the Vision Pro simulator will now only run on Apple Silicon Macs, so if you have a you know, one of the most recent uh, Mac Pro towers that were still Intel chips. You can't build for Apple's Pro with that. You can't build with your iMac Pro five grand computer, you know, for the, for that. And on one level, I'm okay with that, that, you know, the platform is Apple Silicon now. I think we've got two more years of Intel support before Apple drops support for altogether. You should have Apple Silicon to be building for an Apple Silicon device. But it also feels a bit swinging for people that might have spent 13, 14, 15 grand on a computer. Yeah, I'm not surprised, but I don't get why they didn't do this from day one. If they just said from, you know, back in early June, yep, you can develop for it, but it's only on Apple Silicon, then it would make a lot more sense. But getting halfway through the development cycle and then going, oh, no, now you can't use your Intel Mac, it, that seems very strange to me. It does make sense. Why would they support, an you know, an outdated architecture now? Because they're not shipping any new devices that seems very odd to me that they've changed it this way through. Unless there was something, a showstopper in there, or I don't know. It just seems very bizarre that they've changed it at this late stage. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, Steve's point was, Steve's uses, he, he posts builds all the time. And to me, he's keeping a lot of the interest going. Because unless I followed him on Mastodon, I wouldn't have heard anything about the, the Apple Vision Pro. Yeah, you kind of forget about it, don't you? Like, oh yeah, I forgot that's still a thing. And it does look cool. I'm super interested. I'm scared by the price. Don't know if I would use it, but the, I don't know. I just I think I expected a bit more of a continual drip. But I guess they're doing the right thing. There's nothing new to report, so we're not just going to keep re-churning over the same information. You and I are quite conditioned to wanting the new things that Apple puts out there, so I'm not surprised you're feeling the pull towards it. But I'd like a little more data about it, really. Yeah, and I like I like to know it's going to be a cheaper device when it lands because it is a lot of money. Yeah, you're not putting that in your kid's head, are you, and the runner in the room? No, not at all. Not at yeah. all. Anyway, let's move on and talk about something depressing. There has been more layoffs in the tech industry. We've sort of been covering this as we've gone along. This latest two stories we're going to talk about, the first one being Stack Overflow. So I've used Stack Overflow an awful lot in my career for one thing or another, trying to work out a bit of code works. Uh, you visit that website, 
this is your problem and the chances are some other programmer has faced this program problem and someone has an answer for it and with a little bit of thought and modification of their code you can generally get their examples working give it on give the people who gave you the answer kudos and you move on it's a great website stack overflow uh, and they, they develop their own coding into all sorts of other things as well it's sort of just good discussions and solutions for problems that you might have anyway they have said they're going to lay off over 100 people due to the ai coding boom so this is things like microsoft copilot chat gpt three and four and others and i think that's a bit of a shame really no, it is a shame. I love Stack Overflow, but 28% of your company being laid off in one go is huge, isn't it? I thought Stack Overflow were owned by somebody. But maybe, was it Atlassian or someone like that, I think? I No, I don't know. I thought it was maybe a big company. Sorry, I'm just looking as we are talking. So it's, oh, it's a huge amount of people, isn't it, frankly? I don't know what to say, but then they grew to over 500. So maybe... maybe Maybe they recruited in, in the wrong way at the wrong time. But I do think the AI piece has caught everybody, you know, a little bit a little bit from, what's it, left field. That's the saying I'm looking for. So, you know, the AI piece come from left field. People didn't see it coming. It's obviously landed, I guess, more fully fledged than, than people would realise it would be. And therefore, it is actually a threat for people like this. I think I'm wrong. I don't think they are owned by anybody. That's my mistake. I think it must be quite frustrating for Stack Overflow because the chances are a lot of the responses were trained on Stack Overflow answers. Yeah, they could have very well been scraped. It's a very good site and the the resources on there are fantastic. Yeah, so that's sad and I hope Stack Overflow continues because as we've talked about repeatedly on this podcast, just because ChatGPT or whatever gives you an answer, it doesn't mean it's the right one. And worse than that, you may not understand it. And quite often having to work through the examples in Stack Overflow that were given, you had to understand what it was doing. So I, I kind of slightly fear for people's ability to code well based on these GPT and, and AI type technologies. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it gave a good, lot of good context, comments, background. It's such a good site if you're trying to code something. It's fantastic. Yep. Second story about laying off, and this is Microsoft to blame for this one because they do own LinkedIn. LinkedIn has laid off hundreds of employees for the second time this year. LinkedIn is laying off 668 employees across various teams. That's a lot of people. Yeah, so 668 now. They did 716 back in May. So what's that, 1,000, nearly 400 people. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of jobs. Um, I do use LinkedIn a lot, um, and I was on it today, and I, I thought today, oh, it hasn't changed very much in the last year. Like because they, they were going through a period where they were modernizing the look and feel of it and bringing new features but that seems to have massively plateaued at the moment i'm guessing that they're just not getting their recruiters revenue because there's just not as many jobs being recruited for at the moment especially here in the uk can't talk about other markets but um i wonder if they're struggling with that um and therefore the way they're dealing with it is is you know reducing their headcount and therefore their overhead and like you say, if it's not changing much, maybe they don't need that many people to maintain, you know, to the point they've got to. Microsoft's leaning into AI-type technologies. Maybe they're hoping that that is going to help with, you know, highlighting things you need to look at, helping you write CVs. LinkedIn continuously demands me for to go premium. I don't understand what that is. I don't want any part of it. I don't particularly like LinkedIn. I'm in there because I feel I have to be more than I want to be. Yeah, so I do use LinkedIn a little bit. I keep in contact with people I used to work with. I link generally with partners or suppliers I'm dealing with and it's interesting to see what, what their history is, how long they've been at the companies that they work for. So I use it a bit, but I don't I don't pay for the premium features. I think that's more geared towards if you're looking for a new job or if you're 
trying to contact lots of people that you don't know and you're using it as a sales tool. So I don't pay for that, but there are a lot of adverts on it. Interesting, I was reading in this article that we've linked to, they've surpassed over $15 billion in revenue. So it's not like it's a small company, but maybe they just had the people in the wrong places. Possibly. Anyway, it's still tech firing season, isn't it? This has been the year of large tech layoffs and that's concerning, I think, for all of us. Yeah, I completely agree. It's it's not good, is it? It's not. You have a story about the Nintendo 64. Yeah, I just came across this here about, it's on the verge, it's about a company called Analog, who we've reported on before, I can't remember what they were making, were they making the, oh, they make the, like, the Game Boy, modern Game Boy, that looks like a Game Boy, takes Game Boy cartridges, but has a much higher resolution screen, have I got that right? Yeah, it's the Analog Pocket. Analog Pocket, that's where I recognise the name from, but they're going to do a Nintendo N6 device that will take nintendo n64 cartridges but upscale them to 4k and sounds kind of cool i'm sure it's gonna be very expensive but what what a cool device for them to do i don't know how that works with the licensing with nintendo but maybe it's too old and it's not copyrighted anymore well if you're using nintendo's cartridges they can't really stop you can they all they're doing is they're upscaling the content that's already on there it's not like you're downloading the 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 content of the rom to your device and then using it that way you you must have still bought a nintendo cartridge at some point yeah that is true and um there's a couple of like teaser shots in the article which i think are fantastic they're they're, they're just showing you know in a very subtle way what the gamepad might look like in the actual device itself which i, I think they look great very artistically done and look the analog stuff looks amazing so i, I think it's going to look awesome i never had an n64 which I'm gutted about because I feel like I've completely missed out on what was possibly one of the best consoles. But keen to see what they do with this because it looks looks really good. So I did have an N64. In fact, it's still in the loft with about seven or eight cartridges, including Super Mario 64. So this is something I could actually get and, and use. Having said that, because I've owned seven or eight cartridges, I've also tried to download emulators for Nintendo 64 in the past just to see how well they run for the games I've officially bought and purchased, obviously. And it works really well. You know, uh, we talked before, and I'm trying to remember the name of it as we're talking, the developer Riley Testult, who has an iPad variant of uh, a Game Boy Advance emulator and an N64 emulator, and you can play 4K versions of those games on your iPad right now. Alt Store, there you go. As I was talking, it came to me. You were trying to get it working back in the beta last year, I think, and didn't have an awful lot of luck with it. But I know there are emulators available that will play classic N64 games in 4K on devices. Now, obviously, it doesn't come with the hardware in terms of the, the Nintendo controller for the N64 was a weird-looking thing. It looked a bit like a, like a I don't know, a Trident. It had three sticks on it, and it was one of the first that had proper control for sort of 3D motion of cameras and things like that. It had a trigger underneath. It was a really cool stick. They all sort of gradually died over time by sort of a mushy feeling in the central control stick. I have four controllers for the thing upstairs. It would do four people on screen at the same time. All of them eventually died, mostly playing Star Fox 64 or GoldenEye, I must say. But yeah, it was a great device. I think this is great to see. They're obviously not violating any copyrights by doing this, but Nintendo things are historically quite hard to emulate. Even the sort of retro consoles Nintendo themselves have done have been a bit problematic with some of the emulations so i think well done pocket well done analog yeah no i think i think well done i'm, I'm looking forward to it i th- you know i really like to see where they go with this and i'm curious to know what the cost of this device is going to be as well i must say yeah the handhelds aren't that cheap no and the uh, limited uh supply which obviously only drives up the price 
Yeah, so it's rumoured that tomorrow there might be a press release and we might get some new iPads or we might just get a pencil or we might just get nothing. So um, it'd be interesting to see and we, we can maybe report on that later in the week or if we record another show. But I'm super interested because my son doesn't have a mobile phone but is probably due an iPad at some point because his is getting a bit long in the tooth and doesn't have much story so keen to see what they're going to do whether they're going to update the mini whether they're going to update the regular iPad whether they're going to update the air we're not expecting pros tomorrow which I would certainly be interested to see what they do with it but I'm always happy when there's talk of iPads come in I use mine all day every day as I've, I've commented on before so yeah interested to see what they do and obviously there's rumor of a new pencil curious to see what that will be whether it'll be a magnetic one or a usb-c one because if you buy the new baseline ipad it's still a lightning pencil which needs some funny adapter to charge off the same device that it comes with because the base level ipad has usb-c and it feels like apple need to deal with this is obviously part of their lightning transition so yeah curious to see if anything comes out um and what the story is there shame they're not doing an event but equally they didn't do an event last year and they did some launch videos anyway and it would be quite good to see that so i have thoughts i will hold the ball in case we do do a special and we if if they are we'll talk about them together and we can release the show about that fairly soon after there is an event if there is one so i will hold my fire until that point i will agree with you however charging a lightning pencil via an adapter in a usb-c ipad is dumb yeah it I just don't get why they didn't make a USB-C pencil at that point. I do remember last year when the iPads came out, I was on holiday again because it it was kind of half term time. And I thought, great, new iPad Pro, I'm going to order one. And then I go and look at it and I was like, oh, they've literally swapped the chip out and there is nothing new. I think there's like a hover thing, but it was super disappointing. I think that is the problem with the iPads. They just move so slowly. So I'm not expecting a lot tomorrow. But for me, even if it just drives down the prices of the existing models, because one of those would be ideal for, for my son. Okay, I will hold my fire and we'll wait and see for that. Uh, Next story is also new. Yeah, so I'm actually off to Microsoft Envision on Wednesday. It's part of my corporate job. Um, It's an event in London. Uh, Lots of people that run IT teams are going to be there and they're talking about all things AI. So I'm actually quite looking forward to this because I'm trying to work out where do all these AI software platforms sit in our corporate world. And I thought it'd be a good overlap with the podcast of not to talk about today, but maybe once I've been and maybe when I'm back from holiday of how does all of Microsoft's AI product actually help a corporate company based in the UK and how much of it is too expensive to do? How much of it's really beneficial? Should people be worried about their jobs or actually is it additive to their job and will it help them do their job? So super interested to see how Microsoft pitch all of that um, and I'll report back once I've been. Yeah, that will be interesting. We can have another AI discussion as well afterwards because what Microsoft are pitching you against what you can actually allow yourself to do corporately is another thing as well, isn't it? There's, so there's, there's a lot of ethics and thoughts and IP and productivity stuff that we can think about within that as well. So absolutely, let's have a roving report or report back. I will take notes, but there's a lot of unknowns, I think, at the moment, isn't there? I think AI is this big new thing. And like we just said about uh, Stack Overflow getting blindsided by it. Are other companies going to be in a similar place? Or actually, like I say, is it going to be additive? And I'm I'm curious to understand it a bit more. So yeah, I will report back. Fair enough. Is that it for news? Have we got anything else? No, I think that's us done for news. So on to media. So first up, I think I sent this to you earlier in the week. There's a trailer out for All Mankind Series 4. And it looks awesome. Imagine for All Mankind moved on another 10 years. It looks really good. So I'm super excited to, to see that actually because i've really got into it. i think you're you that got me into it because i watched a bit of it and 
and didn't persevere. And then I went back and watched the whole all three seasons. So yeah, it looks good. Really good stuff on Apple TV+. Plus. I'm with you. I love For All Mankind. It's probably the show, even more than Ted Lasso, that convinced me that Apple TV Plus was a serious gore. I can't wait. Love the story. Love the characters. Want to see what's happened to them next. It's terrific. Yeah, it's really well done. So yeah, good. So looking forward to that. And then next up, I've actually put in Messi and the MLS. I've been watching this on Apple TV+. Plus. I'm not a big football fan, but I seem to like football tv shows i can't understand why but they should have just called it welcome to miami as we've got welcome to wrexham this is a very similar concept david beckham owns into miami they've bought lionel messi and they've really raised the profile of it it's a team struggling but has some good investment they even show david beckham one of the really early ones where they're building the stadium they didn't even have a, have a stadium it's a new team very pink <laughs> their kit is pink as you'd expect with miami see when the formula one's there there's very pink sort of vibe but no, it's, it's a really good TV show, really well put together. And like I say, there are some parallels between it and Welcome to Wrexham, which is also in season two, by the way, and would, would recommend watching that as well. I think they've, they've done a great job. And uh, Ryan Reynolds comes across really well in that as well. So two really good shows all about football, and I'm not a football fan. So uh, there you go. I have zero interest in Lionel Messi and Miami but and that's failed to tell me Chris sorry because it's football and I can't be bothered at the Wrexham one there is a chance I'll watch mostly because of the North Wales connection I also really like Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney I think Ryan Reynolds is a really impressive businessman you know beyond the fact that he's a good actor Deadpool's great he's always come over very well on screen the fact that he bought a gin company and is making a lot of money from that, the fact that he had a share in uh, a mobile phone company, an MVNO in America, made a huge amount of money from that. And he actually has a decent amount of input into one password, the password app you and I use all the time as well. So I think he's a very cute businessman and has done well for Wrexham from everything I've heard. As the, the city and the fans like Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney, so I'm more interested in watching to Welcome to Wrexham than I am anything about Lionel Messi, in which I've got, I understand he's a footballer, and that's the extent of my knowledge. Yeah, so I'd agree with you. I think Ryan Reynolds and Ben McElhaney, I think they, they both come across fantastic in Welcome to Wrexham. I find it strange, ironic, that we've got two American guys of have bought a British team and we've got a British guy David Beckham has bought an American team it that, that, that just makes me smile a little bit but they all come across really well in it and I agree with you I think uh Welcome to Wrexham certainly demonstrates that they are doing a lot of good for the community and improving generally improving the area and yeah Ryan Reynolds must be a very astute business person because he's obviously doing very well at it to be fair yeah, that is fair. Uh, just on related matters, uh, Americans helping out poor, struggling British people. There was a story in The Guardian this week about 50 Cent, Fiddy, the rapper, who has sponsored a Cardiff girls under 14 football team. So he's not the only American coming to Wales to help out. <laughs> Good. Well, I think more celebrities should do it and more, and more people with money should should put, give some of it back because often these people end up with more money than they know what to do with. So put some of it back, do something good with it. So it doesn't belong in the media section, but if you're looking in the show notes for the 50 Cent story, I've put that in the media section for uh, listeners to have a look at as well. I want to touch on one thing uh, in Apple TV Plus that's coming. It's a TV show called The Buccaneers. I think it's a remake of a BBC thing from a few years ago. It has American debutantes coming to, to London to find husbands, boyfriends, whatever they did back in those days. Sort of quite in the Bridgerton theme that is sort of quite popular on netflix at the moment it's not really for me but i think i'd be willing to give it a show give it a go with the apple quality and all the rest of it not that keen if you put a few napoleonic warships into that period or or sharp 
I'm all over it. But just debutante's balls and all the rest of it is not quite so much my speed. We have said before that I didn't quite enjoy Gosford Park and, and things like that. So maybe I should give it a go. Yeah, I might give it a go like you and just see what the first episode's like, if it's got the apple sheen on it. I mean, I've got into two football shows, which I thought I'd never watch, so uh, you never know. Also, you're a Downton Abbey fan, so you know it's right up your street. I did get into Downton Abbey. I still need to see the two films, though. That's that's uh, still on the list. Fair enough. And completely on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, a show I've been watching, and I don't think I mentioned it on the podcast, and that's my fault, is Gen V. So I'm a big fan of The Boys on Amazon Prime. Do not watch it with small children or anybody under the age of 21. It is overwhelmingly gross out in terms of blood splatters and horrible deaths. You know, over the top in a, in a cartoonish way. And it is based on a cartoon. It's kind of set, the boys, set in a world where if she had Superman and he had all that power, wouldn't he be an awful person? And yes, he would probably would be. So they sort of ask that sort of question. So the boys is superheroes and the people are sort of out to stop them gen v is set in the same universe i can't talk about it too much without the spoilers for the boys if you ever plan on watching that but it's very well done it's just as gross and it's kind of the boys at high school but with none of those characters although they're talked about within the world it's just really well done and one of the few shows on amazon that i think yeah i really like this is it gen v or gen 5 gen v okay don't spoil anything okay maybe i'll get around to watching that it's really good. I'd, I'd give it a go. Okay, should we move on to games? Let's do some games. So a couple of things to talk about this week. I think the section is going to be all me, Chris, from looking at the list, but I'll, I'll, I'll try and fire through it and keep you interested. You have talked about your games already at the start, and you did try Call of Duty, so I won't rely on you too much for that. Call of Duty it is that time of year. There's going to be a new Call of Duty. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 is scheduled for November, and the lead up to that, Activision Blizzard are very good at putting out demos, so we had the completely free and open to all players. You didn't have to buy a PlayStation 5 version last weekend, so if you had a PlayStation, you could have gone and download it. You'd have got one multiplayer map and Ground War, which is their sort of wider-scale semi-battlefield type thing. Just to get a feel for it, there was lots of complaints during that that it didn't feel very responsive, but overall was a bit more of a return to form than Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 had been. It was the PC version this weekend. I got back from Italy on Saturday, I had a little bit of a chance to play it on Sunday, and I quite liked it. it if you like Call of Duty, you're going to like Modern Warfare 3, I guess, is my sort of summary. Do they have a, enough to keep pumping out a new game every year? Is it a bit like FIFA, or what was FIFA? Well, put it this way. All the guns, skins, and horse armor, as we've talked about before this time, for the first time in Call of Duty history, are going to transfer into Modern Warfare 3, which makes me think it's not that different under the under the hood. Yeah, it's more of a 2.5 than a 3.0. But they're still going to charge you 70 quid for the privilege of buying it. Yeah, I could quite believe it. I often pick them up every now and again when they're on sale, not to play multiplayer, but just so I can do the the campaigns because I do love a shoot 'em up campaign. I always have done because I think those are the games I was brought up on when I was a lot younger. Yeah, I, I quite like it. I'll see how I feel. But in related news, Valve have released Counter-Strike 2 in the last week. Did you see any news about this? Uh, I've seen one bit of news, and I think you've got it in here. It doesn't run on our favourite hardware. So I'm just going to a little potted history of Counter-Strike. Chris and I have played a lot of Counter-Strike in the dim and distant past. We used to get together and, in a very sad and geeky way, get our computers, lug our computers in those days together, plug them in with cables and actually play Counter-Strike in a little local area network with some of our mates back in the day. 
it was huge. Counter-Strike 1.6 was the thing that launched Valve, which has become the gaming behemoth that it is these days. But Counter-Strike was a big deal, wasn't it? Yeah, those were the days. And there is something about playing some games with your mates all in the same room rather than over the internet, which I know is the modern way of doing it. But it was quite cool just all actually being in the same room and playing and talking and having a bit of fun. So yeah, I fondly remember those days. So Counter-Strike was there for a long time. You had to, used to have to pay for it. It was about 16 quid. They released a, an update of it called Counter-Strike Source when the Source engine came out, so it looked a little bit better, ran a little bit better. Fundamentally the same game, though. Then they released another version, still on the one-point-ish branch, called Counter-Strike Global Offensive. The big deal for that was it was on Mac and Linux at the same time when they sort of made that push across outside of the Windows platform. So that was Counter-Strike Global Offensive. That was in place for at least 10 years, possibly longer. I may have my history wrong at this point, but it was about that. Mac players happily getting on with PC players, one of the few games you sort of big first-person shooter competitives that you could get on the Mac. Anyway, last week, or in the last 10 days, they released Counter-Strike 2, and there is no Mac version. It's a sad day, isn't it? And they even pulled Global Offensive, which used to work on Macs. So then they re-released it, but only until the 1st of January 2024. So the Mac is actually beginning to lose gaming platforms. It's a bit of a sad story, because obviously Apple have been talking up their game about how much the Mac is a gaming platform and all the tools for it. So it's a bit of a shame that this is going the opposite way to Apple's messaging and all the work, especially with the game porting toolkit that's now out there. It's a shame that couldn't have been used. This would have been a great partnership for Apple to somehow get involved with Valve and work with them to bring it to the platform rather than Valve just take it away from the platform. Yeah, it's not great. At the same time, the problems with Modern Warfare 3 and Battlefield with cheating and all the rest of it I've talked about before. And a lot of these games install anti-cheat kernels to them, so you can't actually mess with the programs at a very low level. I think maintaining that sort of anti-cheat technology across Macs, across Linux, and across Windows, which has the most players, and then the consoles as well, although it's less of an issue in consoles, is challenging for these companies in these days of cross-play and all the rest of it. And if you could put something low-level on a Mac to have the anti-cheat, that's part of it. The other thing I think about, particularly with Counter-Strike 2 in some of these games, is Apple's refusal to adopt a thing called Vulkan, which is sort of the 3D drivers uh, that a lot of these games may run on cross-platform because they want people to rewrite their graphics drivers in metal. Uh, so for all Apple's lip service towards gaming, things like that are quite anti-gaming. Developers don't want to have to you know, get Xcode, get a Mac, get an Apple Silicon Mac, whatever it is, and cross-compile against those things. So I think it's a big deal that they don't support the Vulcan drivers. And that's probably this and the anti-cheats, what's hit Counter-Strike 2. Yeah, it does make sense. And obviously we've heard about a lot of tech companies laying people off. They're probably, you know, obviously going for the main platforms and this way they can do it a bit more economically. Where is the money at? So anyway, Counter-Strike 2 came out. It was free if you got a Windows PC. Uh, I think it's coming to Linux. They've still said that. It may already be on Linux. I'm not 100% sure I haven't tried it. I have played it on Windows. It's like Counter-Strike. What is the, my sort of one comment about it is it's got the best smoke effects I've ever seen in the game, I think. Really? Yeah, so you can do things like if you chuck a smoke grenade, you can shoot through the smoke and it will open up the smoke a little bit. Where you're shooting through is your bullets pass through the smoke. That's, uh, if you th- that's cool. It is cool, and it'll expand to fill a space. So if you throw it in a corridor, it only expands to fill the corridor sort of volumetrically. If you throw a grenade in, a normal grenade, it will clear the smoke with a concussion, and then it'll gradually come back out of the of the, of the the smoke grenade again. It's really well done. That is cool. I just can't believe it's taken them in certain number of years here to do this, because if we were playing Counter-Strike 1.6, I think you said, 
back when we were at university, which is 2003, say, and here we are literally 20 years later. That's a long period of elapsed time to get version 2 out the door. Yeah, with decent smoke. But then did we ever throw a smoke grenade when we were playing 1.6 or would you just try and shoot people? I was never very proficient, I must confess. Flashbangs were a thing, I remember that. Yeah, exactly. I don't think we were very good at it. Counter-Strike is a professional thing now. People make money playing it, so, you know, more tactics. Yeah, okay. This is probably not a game for me because I'm awful at these games. Similarly, uh, on talking about anti-cheat and things like that, AMD released a, a graphics patch to their drivers for their graphics cards. Um, and Valve have been banning players for using one of the bits of technology called Anti-Lag Plus, so I don't know if they'll have to walk back on that. It's not the player's fault that the graphics company released a driver to, to help their frame judder. Wow, okay, that's quite interesting. So AMD have improved performance, what, too much? And Valve, I'll tell you, you can't use it. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's a poor show. Poor show. Anyway, just an additional story. Most most of our audience won't be very interested in competitive first-person shooters, but I think it's worth putting in for completeness sake. Yeah, definitely. Moving on, it's Steam Next Fest. I talked about this last year with a couple of games that I'd quite enjoyed playing a few levels of, a few demos of, and I thought I'd highlight a couple here. One called Foundry. Uh, this is in this sort of factory building genre that has existed uh, for a while where you land on a planet you need to find resources you need to build a factory you need to get it running efficiently to do all this kind of stuff to be honest i didn't spend that much time on it the thing that caught my eye about it is it uses voxels do you remember voxels from back in the day right so a pixel is a dot on your screen with an x and a y coordinate a voxel is a volumetric pixel as a z coordinate as well so it actually is depth so it's quite a unique looking game it feels to be a bit more heft to what's going on in the game because they're actually plotted in three dimensions it runs very swiftly it's very well done it's not for me i can't be bothered it's like minecraft with additional bits in it so it's not really for me but i just thought from a technological perspective it's really quite impressive now it does sound kind of cool i like the sound of it yeah so it's free if you're interested in those kind of factory world building type things foundry might be worth a look while the, the demo is still there the next one I played, I thought would be right up your street. It's called Robocop Robes. It's a first-person shooter where you are Robocop, if you remember that film from the 80s. Do you remember that film from the 80s? I do remember that film from the 80s. That was part of my childhood, as I'm sure it was yours. Yeah, it's a great film. And it again, it's like you're playing a game on easy mode when you're Robocop because you can tank it. But the nice thing about it is it looks very like Robocop. It's set in that world with sort of the 80s looking cars. You've got his gun. If you right click it targets like it did for Robocop back in the day with sort of the crosshairs appearing across the screen and the target being outlined. Same sound effects. They even got the voice actors back for Officer Lewis. And uh, it's not Paul Weller because that's the singer, but the, the, the actor's name was Weller as well who played Robocop. So that's quite nice. He makes the right noises when he walks along. So a bit of a nostalgia fest for me really. It looks really good, actually. It looks like they've captured captured the whole era really well. Yeah, I like the look of this. Yeah, I think if you've got a PC, I, I haven't tried it on the Steam Deck. It might work on the Steam Deck, I don't know. It might be worth a download and a look just to see because it's free. Is it free? Sorry, it's just a, it's a pre-purchase of £45 for a breakup. It is, it is, but during Next Fest, you can download the first level as a demo. Oh, okay, then that's definitely worth doing. Yeah, and then the last demo... Uh, that I tried is called Last Train Home. And this is actually intriguing. It talks about a thing in history that I knew nothing about. After the First World War, when the Russians left to fight themselves and have the civil war between the Red Russians, which were the Bolsheviks and eventually won, and the White Russians that support the Tsar, sort of in about 1917, 1918, 
there were a lot of abandoned nations like the new nation of Czechoslovakia that wanted to get themselves out of that as quickly as possible. So this tells the semi-true story of a Czechoslovak regiment on a train trying to get back to Czechoslovakia before Russia tore itself apart, really, and what was going on during the First World War in a command and conquer slash commandos real-time strategy kind of way where you have specialists, but it's in that sort of command and conquer, move to there, take cover, give first aid kind of approach, all the while trying to protect your train with the narrative story of this Czech regiment trying to get home. So the the, the three levels I've played of it so far, I'm really impressed. It's really well done. And again, if you've got a PC or something capable of playing it, I think it's worth a look if you like that kind of thing. Yeah, it does look kind of cool. I like the look of this. Yeah, I thought it'd be right up your street uh, and others may enjoy it too. So it's one of those ones that I think you kind of want to support a developer that's trying to do something interesting and new. So at least check out the demo and maybe throw them some money if you like it. Yeah, no, it looks good. I did just put a link in the show notes. Did you see this? There's a new look PS5 coming out. It's interesting they've not called it the PS5 Slim because it's not very slim by the looks of it. It looks similar-ish, but just a slightly updated design. Interesting, though, you can buy the the Blu-ray drive as an add-on, which I think is quite good. That For somebody like me, though, that's got the digital version, I wouldn't actually mind now to buy a Blu-ray player to stick on the side of it. So it looks all right. It's... It's a bit weird, I think, in that it doesn't look like it's much different. I wonder whether this is more for them in that this maybe it's a lot cheaper for them to manufacture. And I wonder if that's why they're doing it. Hopefully it means the PS5 sticking around for a little while. It's going to cost £300 in the UK for the digital and 479 for the uh, Blu-ray version. But it has got a slightly bigger drive in it. It's going to have a one terabyte SSD inside instead of 825, which is what, what ours would have shipped with. But uh, I think it looks okay, but I'm not going to be rushing out and buying one of these. PlayStation 5 is a great console, but it's far too big. It is massive and it really heats up in my house, heats up the cupboard that it's in. I've even had to cut the back out of it so some heat can escape out the back. Um, It is a big old console. I love it. It's a great, great piece of kit. But I do wonder about some of their design decisions. Like when you want to upgrade the the SSD, they could have made that so much smoother. I think Microsoft did it right. You just slot it in the back. That's got to be better than PlayStations where you have to take the panel off, undo a screw. It just didn't seem... It didn't seem very nice. I both agree and disagree with you. I think they could have done a better job. At the same time, have you seen the price differential for the Microsoft module to plug it in the back of the Xbox? No, I have not. Yeah, so you can pick up... I picked up an SSD for my PlayStation 5. It was 70 quid for another terabyte, maybe 60 quid for another terabyte. Fast SSD. A similar one terabyte module for the the Xbox is like 180 quid. I'm amazed Sony didn't do that to get some reoccurring revenue. Well, well done, Sony, I've got to say. Fair enough. Uh, I think this is fine. Uh, and they do have a habit of upgrading the PlayStation as they go. They did a PS3 Slim. They redid the PS4. I'm not surprised they've done the PS5. As you say, it's not that different from what came before. It just looks like a modular evolution of the existing design rather than anything else. I'm sure a slimmer, smaller one will come down the line when they sort it out. I found it to be massively cooler than I replaced a PS4 Pro in there. And that thing was a turbine. Yeah, I've heard I've heard about those those consoles not being great. So I, I do like my PS5. My children love it more than me, I think. But it's a great bit of kit. But this just looks like a 5.1 update, if that makes sense. Cool. 
Moving on, we're going to o- skip over a main show this week as we think we'll record that for, for next week so you guys can hear a sort of expanded discussion on that. And we'll fire straight into App of the Week, which is on me. And I'm going to talk ju- briefly about Final Cut Pro. So I went away to Milan. We were going to record some video and do some sort of blips of the day. So I was re-immersing myself in Final Cut Pro. Uh, what a great little bit of software it is if you want to record some video and you want to edit it quickly and do some motion graphics. It's far cleverer than I am. You can do recoloring if you takes. It works in 4K all the way up and above. And I just want to say for a one-time fee, which I think was 320 quid to my educational license, and I also got Logic Pro, which I edit the podcast with, so thank you for that, Apple. It has continued working for several years. It's always reliable. They update it regularly. There's an iPad version, which you have to pay monthly for. But So I think it's really good that they've got this professional video editing software that is really clever. You can do all this stuff with it, and they just continue to support it year on year on year, particularly in light of other free good software like uh, DaVinci Resolve, which is sort of grading popularity, that works on Windows, Mac, and Linux. Also has a paid-for version for one thing, and Apple have sort of one of the few bits of Pro software that they've continued to support for all this time. So a little bit of love for Final Cut Pro, a non-linear editor that works really, really well, even if the folder search is kind of confusing. Been using it a bit this week, done some motion graphics with it. Great bit of software. Yeah, I'm amazed they've not, not rolled it into the same pricing format as what they did for the iPad. It felt like that was coming, but for some reason they haven't done that yet. Thing of the week. Thing of the week for me is I'm going to go with my Kindle Scribe. So I've been using it for a week. I briefly touched on it last week. Whilst it's quite simple, it's fantastic. It does what I need. I haven't found myself going back to my notepad and write all my notes in it. I'm addicted to the thing and I love it. And I'm not thinking, oh, if they do bring out a new iPad tomorrow, I'm going to want one for taking notes. I've got my Kindle. It's just my note taking and my book device. Really enjoying it. So that is my thing of the week. Fair enough. I think I said all I had to say about it last week. Travelling on three aeroplanes, various trams, and watching people on holiday. I think I saw two Kindles in total on my trip. Yeah, I mean, that is the thing. They are niche on what they do. But for me, in some ways, that's an appeal. Because if I take a Kindle with me, I will sit and read a book or I'll make some notes. I won't go waving off playing games, browsing the whole of the internet. It is quite nice if you want that focus time with it, which, like I say, is part of the appeal. I used to have an iPad mini, and I found I just ended up not taking notes on it, but doing lots of other things on it. Whereas, actually, as much as I don't want more devices, I actually quite enjoy this for what it is. And I think they've done a great job with the software. The responsiveness of it is fantastic. And it is making me take notes and refer back to them as I have my follow-up meetings week on week. So, yeah, it's scratching the itch for me. I'm dead chuffed with the purchase, and I won't be returning it. Fair enough. I think we can call that a show, Chris. I think so. So thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, if you want to get in contact, Rod is at g5maniac at maston.scott. I am at underscore cjp at maston.social. Or you can drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. <laughs>